From Bentonville, the epicenter of retail's hometown, it's the Supplier Community Podcast, giving you 24-7 access to a community of emerging and experienced thought leaders in the retail space. Enjoy the show. Welcome again to the Supplier Community Podcast. I'm Josh Irwin. Sustainable packaging and climate change are not your usual hot topics when it comes to retail. But in fact, these are subjects that might be vital to the survival of both retail as well as the planet Earth itself. Progress in these areas will require innovation and change. And innovation can be inspired in the strangest of places, including a midlife crisis. You see, instead of buying a sports car, Irish entrepreneur Andrew Thornton became a pioneer of sustainable packaging at retail. His shop, Thornton's Budgeons in London, has become a hotspot for the environmentally conscious shopper. Now, it was a cold day in winter when we talked with Andrew, and he told us his story and what inspired him to cut plastic out and how he did it. My longer term story is I, I, I kind of, I was a, a consultant who had a midlife crisis about 10 years ago and bought two supermarkets as a result of it, which is a slightly obscure way to um, deal with midlife crisis. And what I've realized over that time is that really my purpose is all around influencing business leaders to do things differently. And uh, I call it business with a heart, but it's ultimately taking a different approach. And it's more looking at the whole issue of stakeholder value looking at, you know, your customers, your suppliers, your community, your, the environment, as well, instead of just looking at, at, at shareholders. Um, so we have done in my my London supermarket in Thornton's Budgets, we have done many things in the environmental space. And last year, we have become very aware with Blue Planet to the David Attenborough documentary, uh, really bringing to, to the fore of people's customers' attention the whole plastic issue. And as I was contemplating, and I'd met, met an organization called Plastic Planet, who we ended up working with to tackle this. But as I was contemplating that, I took some time out in the U.S. over the summer. I was doing some training, um, leadership training. And prior to that, I went to have a week uh, beforehand to kind of relax and, and, and uh, just let things go. I went to a visit place called Smith Island off the coast of Maryland. Um, the intention being to have a kind of relaxing week, just doing very, very little. Uh, and I'm a kind of crazy Irishman, and I have to go and swim all the time, all year round. And, it, you know, I didn't have a good feeling. The water didn't feel clean, and it was the ocean, and this is supposed to be a nature reserve. But, you know, and, and somewhere in, on, on, the, on the, the swim, I, I must have stood, I think I stood on a crab shell or something, but didn't think more of it. Got back to our little cabin. And after a while, my foot started to swell up a bit and, and it kind of got worse. And so within 24 hours, um, there was a nurse on the island and, and, and my partner was really quite concerned. So she called the nurse again the second time. And the nurse came around. And she said, oh, my God, we need to deal with that. And, and I was airlifted off the island into a hospital um, on the mainland and spent 48 hours on a drip um, having really heavy duty antibiotics and effectively what happened was the sea was so poisoned with toxic whatever produced by human beings and it's not necessarily just to do with plastic but all the, the, the i'll use the word crap that we pump into the sea as humans was so toxic that i um 
I end up in this position. And when I got back to the island afterwards, one of the guys who'd been a, one of the volunteer uh, firemen who'd, who kind of lifted me on the stretcher into the helicopter said, oh, it's, it's really good to see, you, you know, you didn't lose a leg because, you know, that ocean's pretty toxic. And that if I hadn't been decided at that point that we were, you know, we wanted to do something about plastic, that was, that pushed me over the edge. And I got back to the UK on the 1st of September and we made a commitment. This is 2018. We made a commitment that we would launch 1,500 plastic-free products by early November, um, which was like 10, 10 weeks or so. Um, and we did. In fact, we launched 1,800 products. Um, as I mentioned, we work with an organization called The Plastic Planet, which is a social enterprise that's committed to turning off the plastic tap. And we really did this for three reasons. One, we wanted our customers in Belsize to have the chance to shop with less plastic packaging. Secondly, we wanted to reduce the amount of plastic our store put into the environment. But most importantly, we wanted to influence the major players to do something different, to show that if little Olas with one store in North London could actually do this, take out this many products in 10 weeks, then surely what could a Walmart or a Tesco or a Carrefour with all their resources do? So that's the kind of, that's kind of what we, we did. Inspiration is one thing, application is another. But this didn't stop Andrew, who decided that the best way to reduce the use of plastic in his store was a multifaceted approach that started with the elements that his store could directly control. Really, it was pretty much an impossible task what we set out to do. We, we did that, and we did that by taking plastic out in three, three sort of ways. First of all, we took all the categories that we were packing ourselves, or we had influence on packaging. So produce is a great example. About 40% of our produce was, was loose and 60% pre-packed. We shifted that to 85% loose um, because that's something we could control. And we, yeah, we did that um, pretty much overnight. Um, we then looked at other areas, for example, bread. Bread that we bake in store or got from local artisan bakers was all put into aerated plastic sleeves. We changed that into paper. Um, with our fish counter, we used to, like most fishmongers, wrap, wrap it in a bit of paper and then put it in a plastic bag. We then upgraded the quality of the paper into a wax paper, and then we folded that, sealed with the, the, the paper price label, and therefore we didn't need to use a, a paper bag, a plastic bag. We also then started to use compostable packaging, packaging to, to wrap our cheese uh, and so on. The second area then was we went seeking suppliers, manufactured suppliers who produce plastic-free packaging. Um, and we were amazed working with the plastic plant, how many mostly smaller niche companies were producing plastic-free packaging. Um, and that could be anything from teas and coffees to deodorants and soaps, um, cereal products, and so on, a whole raft of products, mostly as I said, from small niche new manufacturers, um, nothing from the big major manufacturers as yet. And then the third thing we did was we re-merchandised the store to bring all the plastic free products together in zones. We have 28 zones in the store that are plastic free. So that people could really see if, if you wanted a plastic free shop, you could then go around and choose your groceries from those 28 zones. And it's possible to do a full shop for your family um, plastic free if you're prepared to make a few sort of tweaks. Maybe the very specific type of cheese you wanted is not available in plastic-free, but you know you, there's certainly a whole raft of cheeses that are available. The the more recent thing we've done 
is uh, just over six weeks ago, we launched our zero packaging section where we have a whole range of products where you basically are box sold and you bring, ideally you bring your own container back. Uh, you continuously refill those containers, although we have paper bags to help people in the process get started. And that is things you might expect like nuts and, and grains and pulses, those sort of things, but we have spices. So we have a jar where you can scoop out, you know, fresh coriander seeds. In a perfect world, you might bring the little Schwartz bottle you've used with coriander before and kind of refill it. Um, we have got um, washing powders, you know, detergents, um, soaps. We've got shampoos, conditioners, bath foam. Um, we also then have things like olive oils and balsamic vinegars. We have a milk machine, which is my personal favorite, where you can bring your own bottle or one of our, our reusable bottles and fill up with a litre of organic milk from a local farm, which is, it tastes, the product tastes exquisite compared to the bottled um, product. It's just fresher and more alive. And we have a water machine as well, so you can fill up bottles of water still and sparkling with a very scientific osmosis system so that the quality of water is, is, is better than most bottled waters. Um, so we're up to 2,602 products the last time we counted it. And, and I guess one of the big challenges in my interest in, 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 in sharing my story here is that we need the, the supplier community, the mainstream supplier community to really engage with us now. Um, to take this to the next stage. Um, I know certainly Unilever have made some very big commitments and announcements and are really taking this seriously. And I'm hoping that other of the big branded manufacturers start to, to look at this. Um, and there is a whole thing about uh, what is the best way to package things. Zero packaging for me is a great solution because if you switch it out of plastic into glass, that's got issues for environmental and carbon footprint point of view. Um, but ultimately it's what is the best solution and how do we move away from this throwaway society where you wrap something in plastic that maybe, you know, particularly fast food, you know, you put in plastic, it stays in plastic for like less than five minutes and then that, that plastic's tucked away and it, it goes, stays forever because it never gets, um, it never breaks down. And certainly the numbers in the UK is only 9% of plastic is recycled in the UK. And I think the US um, and Canadian numbers are not dissimilar to that. So that's kind of, so we're on a mission. And, and the, the amazing thing is that pretty much every major player in the UK, many from Europe, many from North America and, and as far as Asia have come to see what we're doing. So I think we have achieved our, our primary aim, which is to influence the industry to make a step change. Sadly, in the UK, we have a uh, an EIA Greenpeace report that's been done every year for the last three years on supermarket use of plastic. And it came out about two weeks ago and it showed despite all the commitments and all the big statements that, that all the big players have made about plastic, the amount of plastic in UK supermarkets went up in the, in the most recent year. And a couple of notes of the exception of both Tesco, Sainsbury and I think one other, it's marginally reduced their amount of plastic, but it was very marginal. So really what customers are saying to me is actually it's all greenwashed. You know, the statements for the big retailers are just, they don't mean anything because in reality we're continuing to use more plastic. In a very short time, Andrew Thornton proved that a massive change could be made to reduce the use of plastic and make retail much more sustainable. He found that his little science experiment not only proved it could work, but he also saw an increase in his profit margins as a result. Now he knows that this is a message 
that he has to take to the world. Big box retailers can do this too. And he says that the change must start with everyone, the suppliers, the retailers, and most importantly, the shoppers. And my message to consumers is, if you care about this, then stop buying plastic and start going to places that give you that option. They are few and far between, but they're growing. Um, the number of sort of unpackaged stores that have opened in the UK in the last year is about 60, I think. So, you know, those sort of stores. Um, so if you're a consumer, care about it, be vocal, um, vote with your, with your dollar, your purse, um, get on social media, start making a fuss about it, start really, you know, highlighting those that are doing a good job. If you're a retailer or a manufacturer, my view is that there is a, there, the climate change, plastic, all these things, is actually an opportunity because customers, more and more customers really want to do the right thing. When we launched our plastic-free zones last year, we had a 4% uplift in our total store sales. Now, in grocery food retailing, 4% is a huge uplift um, and people spend millions and millions of pounds or dollars um, and not get getting doing things that get you less of an uplift than that. So uh, we have proven what I, I believe to be the case, the customers care about this. So I believe that there is a huge prize for major retailers. So the first, in individual markets, be it the US, the UK, be it France, the first major player who takes a big, bold move and says, we are going to do something really serious about this. And it's not, my customers are saying most the the, the statements by the UK players have all been greenwashed. Oh yeah, by 2097, we're going to do this and that and the other, or about, you know, it's so far away and the target is so nebulous. And so many of them say, well, we're going to make sure all our stuff is recycled by 2025. But that's no good because only 9% of plastic is recycled in the UK. So you can make it recyclable, but the recycling system doesn't work. So I have a view that the, the first major retailer in individual markets who make a move will get a substantial commercial benefit. And I think with suppliers, the same thing applies. If you are the first candy manufacturer or the first coffee manufacturer to get into this and you get your products presented and you get your message out there, those customers who want to do this will buy your product at the expense of other people. So we all have a responsibility here, but ultimately the biggest responsibility in my view, the whole climate change issue lies with business because government, you know, the government in, in, in your country and the country of which I'm not from, but live in in the UK are, well, the less said about that. They are not, I mean, you know, your president is a climate change denier. Um, you know, we've just had a general election. Climate change was barely mentioned in that. So governments are not going to deal with this problem. So businesses need to. And as I said, I believe it's a, it's a real commercial opportunity for businesses because those who deal with this whole area, and I put plastic under the whole umbrella of climate change or climate crisis, those who do will thrive as businesses. Uh, and those who don't will, in my view, will go out of business. They will become irrelevant customers. They'll become the Kodak of this, uh, this decade we're about to start. It's easy to think of a store like Thornton's Budgeons as upscale or boutique. But Thornton told us that sustainable packaging can actually be extremely cost-effective. But to be applied at a large scale, it's going to need to see a lot of determined innovation. This doesn't necessarily have to be more expensive. So wrapping our bread in paper is no more or less expensive than wrapping in plastic. And certainly having products loose, so all our zero packaging products um, are less expensive than the, the packaged alternative. So our milk 
Um, one liter of milk is 25% cheaper than Yo Valley, which is the leading branded organic milk product. So, in fact, there is a commercial. There's a you know for our, for people who are looking for value for money, this is this does this is not just about being much more expensive. Some of the the brands we've launched, the plastic free brands, are niche brands and they are premium brands and they are expensive. And so my message to the big branded manufacturers is, you know, get your product out of plastic and come up with other solutions. And there's real innovation required. I, I was with the CEO of one of the biggest uh, players in the UK, who's really good grocery players. He was really, last week, he was really grappling with this. And there's a lot of challenges. But actually, by engaging, by the suppliers and the retailers engaging together and saying, okay, how do we deal with this? How do we together come up with solutions? Um, I, I, I believe if, if all the, a lot of energy on both sides is put into this, there are solutions to this. There absolutely are. So I don't think it's just an upmarket niche um, thing. I mean, it's a great place to try it in. You know, it's, it, it certainly makes it easier in some respects. But I, I think this is all applicable to every single demographic um, uh, right across the world. And I know, for example, you know, if you look at India, one of the biggest issues in India is these sachets, food sachets that are, uh, that are, and I went on a leadership walk in India with some CEOs this time last year, and around the, uh, along a river. And actually there weren't things like plastic bottles around because they have some value. And there were, there was the, the sauce sachets, there were crisp packets and there were uh, chewing tobacco packets because those are things that are perceived not to have a value. So I think we all have a responsibility to do something about this. And as I said, those who deal with it will, will thrive and those who don't will die. Thank you for joining us for this edition of the Supplier Community Podcast. We strive to bring you the experts and the latest trends in retail. For more information, as always, visit our website, supplier.community. You've been listening to another episode of the Supplier Community Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show. To get in touch with us, any of our experts, or to be featured as a Supplier Community expert, reach out to amanda at supplier.community.